biggest thing is about adapting to the way that we work with sports. Um, and obviously we're all operating this virtual world at the moment, but what that hasn't done is stopped our interactions and stopped the relationships that we build with sports. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello, welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Deloms. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have the masterminds of the United Kingdom's Olympics competitive edge when it comes to data and analytics. John Blenkhan is the Sport Intelligence Program Manager at UK Sport, and Dr. Sarah Damone is the lead Sport Intelligence Consultant at the English Institute of Sport. John joined the Sport Intelligence team at UK Sport as a Program Manager following the Rio Games in 2016. John is currently leading on data knowledge building strategy across Olympic and Paralympic sports. This seeks to equip performance staff with the tools and skills required to enhance an understanding of how data can form decision making. Prior to joining UK Sport, John worked in project management roles for Marks & Spencer, the United Nations Environment Program and BAE Systems. Outside of work, John plays for the Rowington Wolves Physical Disability Rugby League team. Dr. Sarah Damone is a lead consultant for the English Institute of Sport, Sport Intelligence team whose mission is to support Olympic and Paralympic sports and the use of performance data to maintain their world-leading edge. A sports engineering graduate from the University of Bath, Sarah went on to complete a PhD in biomechanics with the Centre for Sports Engineering Research at Sheffield Hallam University before working in the physical activity sector as the data and insight manager at UK Active. So a couple of great minds uh, when it comes to data and sport and, and especially focusing on the Olympics. Uh, as you'll hear, we talk about we would be ramping up to Tokyo 2020. Now we're looking at Tokyo 2021 uh, and that's really what we center about is how data as its use across the multitude of Olympic sports and there are so many and they are so different and their needs are so different and their data maturity in terms of how they understand uh, how data is used, how it can be applied and then how it can be actioned um, is so different and this team is, is central to that and working across all these programs. John and, and Sarah will explain it much better than I have but Data is giving a genuine edge to Olympic sports, to countries that are treating it seriously. And I think the UK, uh, as some of the, the examples that will be discussed in this podcast, uh, are one of those countries. So fantastic to have them on here. You'll hear a little bit of banter about Australians in, and people in the UK, uh, Australians in those POMs as we, we affectionately refer to them, but generally very impressed with what they're doing and it's great to have them on the show. If you'd like to look up a little bit more uh, into this episode, you can do that on sportstechfeed.com. We've got show notes there. I'm your host, Tom Salomes. If you'd like to reach out and continue the discussion from the episode, it's always interesting when, when our listeners do that. So please feel free to do that. Thomas at sportstechworldseries.com, also on LinkedIn. But for now, here is John Blenkarn and Dr. Sarah Damone on Data Insights, giving UK Olympics a competitive edge. John Blenkhan, Sport Intelligence Program Manager at UK Sports, and Sarah Damone, Lead Sport Intelligence Consultant at the English Institute of Sport. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thanks Thank for having us. <laughs> so this is the first time we've done uh, two guests at the same time, and we haven't been recording in the same room. So uh, both of you are in the UK. I'm obviously in Austin, Texas. Uh, so we're going to see how this goes, and, and hopefully uh, you're not talking over each other and too enthusiastic. Um, but I'll do my best to to kind of uh, to keep it moving along. And and first of all, to John, can you describe the role of UK Sport Intelligence Program and 
and maybe for our international guests, give a bit of a background to um, the UK, uh, Britain uh, Olympic system. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Thomas. Um, so, yeah, we both Sarah and I work as part of the sport intelligence team. Um, so that team sits across both UK sport and the English Institute of Sport. Um, just to give a bit of context about those two organisations. So UK Sport is the UK governing body for providing strategic investment in Great Britain's Olympic and Paralympic sports. Um, and the English Institute of Sport um, provides science, medicine, technology and engineering support services to those Olympic and Paralympic sports. So our team is is broadly a, a team of data science specialists. So we have a number of, of staff within our team, including analysts, developers, consultants and data management experts. Um, and as a team, we, we were founded in 2014, so been around about six years now. So the team initially came about um, to inform UK sports investment decision making. Um, but after the Rio Games in 2016, our scope grew quite significantly. We now provide a data support to over 40 different sports across the Olympic and Paralympic domain. Um, then ultimately, our, our mission is to help both UK sport and EIS and all the Olympic and Paralympic sports we work with understand how data can be used more effectively um, and ultimately to help inform performance related decision making. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how many sports and teams do you work with then? Um, over 40. So the big range of sports, anything from track cycling to taekwondo to triathlon to boccia. Um, so one of the big challenges we have is obviously a, a wide variety of sports and very different sports as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, what are the key challenges considering, so, 40 sports and um, I would assume that uh, the needs of Taekwondo are a little bit different than the needs of track cycling, which are different to the needs of swimming. Uh, what are the kind of the key challenges working across those different teams? Yeah, definitely. I think each sport presents its own unique challenges in applying data science theory successfully. And there is obviously a great amount of variety in how data is used and what data is important from sport to sport. So I think the biggest challenge has been us figuring out how we can add the most value and also have the biggest impact given we are a small team relative to the size of the system within which we operate. And so the first 18 months, I'd say, of the Tokyo cycle as a team with a new remit was spent learning as much as we could by doing all kinds and sizes of projects um, in support of the immediate needs of the practitioners and coaches who, who wanted to work with us. And by doing that, we recognised that definitely it was an advantage we were, that we were sitting as a central team um, because this gave us a unique platform from which we could provide targeted support via projects. Um, but we could also use that platform to identify the common needs across sports that could be met by um, system-wide solutions. And in addition to that, recognising that it was important to encourage the cross-sport sharing of knowledge where it could have a mutual benefit. Yeah. So, so, so across, I mean, across that, uh, those, those 40 sports, I imagine there would be um, different stages of, uh, I guess, kind of advancement, um, whatever the word you want to use is, but basically their proficiency with using using data um, in the same way that they would have different needs. Uh, was that something that you 
basically approached the sports and said, this is where we can help? Or was it them coming to you and saying, this is where we are on our kind of data transformation journey? What can you do? Or, or a mixture of both? Yeah, that's a good question. So definitely every sport is on their own data journey and they're at different stages on that journey. So part of it was understanding where we can add the most value relative to each of the different types of sports or size of sports and also the level of investment that they um, had made with, um, in data. So I think as we delivered more and more, it's what started to emerge was the importance of taking a much more embedded approach to project delivery. So being less reactive to the um, demands from practitioners and focus on and us as a team focusing on building our understanding of each unique performance environment and in particular the people within it as well. So in, in doing so, recognising that, you know, we really needed to consider the skills and the capabilities of the performance teams in order to determine the most effective and sustainable solution um, for that sport so it can um, deliver the value that we intend it to, but also that it can live on within the sport without us um, needing to be there after we've kind of delivered the solution. Yeah, so is that, I guess, the difference between firefighting, you know, coming in and saying, I've got this one problem I need to solve or one model, or, uh, and then the difference between delivering a strategy, which is, well, you can go deliver across um, multiple areas. And and to that to that end, do, do you see the main role is upskilling staff and data science skills? Was it actually going, coming in and saying, these are the skills, or is it more just changing the way they look at data? Or again, is it a mixture of both? It's definitely a mixture of both. So one of the things we, we definitely recognise is that um, across the board, every, everybody can enhance the way that they interact with data. Um, and everybody within our world interacts with data in some way, from sports science and medicine practitioners who generally work with data on a daily basis through to coaches and performance leaders who are generally recipients of data um, and will use data to inform their decision making. So. So one of the things that we're setting out to do is is to set a clear pathway of how do we develop those data skills um, and upskill our system as a whole around um, the application of, of data science principles in their world. Um, so what, what we're doing at the moment is developing a, a knowledge building framework around that um, to improve data literacy across our sports, um, both from those who maybe quite new to interactive with data and how we build some foundation principles um, with a key focus there around how do we enable people to spend less time data processing and more time focus on gleaning insights and data and actually using it to help guide and inform decision making um, through to those performance leaders and coaches who will be re receiving data and and helping them understand where data fits within their existing decision making processes mm. um, and it could be something as simple as being able to interpret data from a dashboard. So you're presented a dashboard from a practitioner, being able to be comfortable about what is it telling you and be able to read that story from it. Um, and it becomes less about the numbers and more about applying the data to the narratives that go around it. And I think going going back to kind of the earlier question of is it technical skills or is it more the mindset? It's It's definitely both around that. Um, I think one of the things that we're definitely focusing on now is just exposing people to where data can provide them with with some sort of impact on on their performance environment. Yeah, definitely. And part of that is um, making sure you're measuring the right thing in the sense of someone being able to look at a dashboard from the 
um, performance manager point of view or coach or whatever it is and go, this is what it's telling me, but are we testing the right thing across different sports? Because um, I'm sure each sport would have its own um, unique metrics that they would want to be keeping an eye on. So following on from that, is, is there an example of a success? I mean, we've talked quite high level um, up until this point, but is, is there an example of success with the program that you can share? Yeah, so um, as mentioned, we, we kind of take a targeted project-based approach to supporting sports and a, there's a, a really nice example of a project we completed with British Swimming this cycle which helps to bring that to life a little bit. Um, so the, the mixed medley relay in swimming is a new event for this cycle and um, within that the teams are free to pick either gender to swim any leg of that race. So just, so, to, just to dive in for our non-swimmers because yeah. I'm a swimmer myself and I, and I know what that is but what is a swimming mixed so we're talking what's the distance and is it yeah so so it's it's um two women two men four different strokes um and oh my god i think it's 100 meters yeah each, each leg yeah. <laughs> putting me on the spot um so yeah within that you can choose if a if the females swim the first two legs or the or the second two legs or any combination you want um so it presents a bit of a uh, well more flexibility of what kind of team you pick um, and also thinking about what kinds of advantages you might get by placing different swimmers in, within different legs based on the strengths of your team but also what the other teams are going to do um, and as I said it's new for Tokyo so it presents an opportunity to well for those for those um, nations that are um, targeting that event as a new medal opportunity it's um potentially something which you can target, which currently isn't a well-established event that, you know, provides an opportunity for Britain, for sure. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I suppose, as I said, for the coaches, team selection can be a difficult task because you've got to consider what 16 other competitor nations might choose um, to do with the swimmers they have available. And there's also the option of resting some swimmers for the heat um, so that they're as fresh as they can be for the final. But of course, you don't want to do this if there's a high chance you're not going to qualify. So you've yeah, really got so to think about better uh, balancing it. You don't want to you don't want to rest your best swimmer because you're like, all right, he's going to smash it or she's going to smash it in the final. But then you slacken off a little bit too much and you don't even make it in the first exactly. place. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's trying to get the right balance. Um, so the kind of project that we did was we worked with the performance analysts within British Swimming. And we developed an interactive tool that the coaches um, could use, which simplified the data modeling process and allowed them to select different combinations of teams based on previous results, um, just to simulate the possible race outcomes. Um, and actually, so the first time it was used was during the, the World Championships in Korea in 2019. And um, the modeling that they did suggested that the Russians with a slightly different team could have been 0.2 to 0.3 seconds quicker based on their simulated time and what happened was Britain actually beat them for bronze by just 0.1 seconds so it just highlights the kind of small margins of the event that make this kind of opposition analysis um, really powerful and I suppose the key thing here is the way that the data can be used to combine with the experiential knowledge of the coaches to to make those decisions when they count um, so yeah, it's just a nice example of a, 
a clearly um, performance impacting project, which you know you can't use without that tacit knowledge, but but is is hopefully helpful in in the coach's understanding of what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. And for a new event where you don't have, I mean, you've got the coach's experience, but even the most experienced coach doesn't have experience of of a problem like this. So the data modeling to present potential futures and potential outcomes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And and with that swimming example, was that, um, to kind of go back to one of my first questions, was that swimming coming to you and saying, hey, we have this new event, can you help us? Or was it you going to swimming going, we have the capability, we think you can, you can benefit from this? Yeah. So, I mean, this, this was, this was swimming coming to us saying, we've got this approach, we know what we want to get to, but we don't necessarily know how to make it easy for us to manage the data behind the scenes or, you know, create something which the coaches can use more easily than just a bunch of Excel sheets. Um, But I think previous to that, again, kind of the key thing of, we had spent a lot of time in the previous three years developing our partnership with British Swimming and understanding them and them understanding what we can provide them. And so there was already that trust and that credibility that we built up with them. So they knew to come to, that they could ask us and, and the, the resulting project, you know, worked really well as a collaboration. Yeah, definitely. And has there been strong buy-in from the teams or is there, and you don't need to name names, but is there is there any kind of pushback from sectors or is it one of those ones where you've developed the trust and you've shown in the swimming example that you can get results so people are much more forthcoming? Because I know that's just something talking to other, especially Olympic sports, um, is everyone's on a different diet journey and sometimes there's very traditional coaches that uh, from sports that data is not traditionally very strong. Um, so this new approach is, it's a little bit of winning people over. It's a bit of um, kind of change management, I guess. Um, is that something that you've found throughout it? Yeah, so I think one one of the important things that we try and focus on as a team is is being able to share these stories across our different sports. So even though we generally, for a lot of the sports-specific projects, obviously working with the sport in isolation, it's important to share with other sports those types of projects and the impact it's kind of had. Um, mm-hmm. It's like like you say, sports run on different trajectories at the moment in terms of their data journey. And it's it's important to firstly demystify what what working with data actually means and the fact it's not just about numbers it's about combining data with those narratives and and that tacit knowledge and within that sport and um being able to show people what the art of the possible is and how investing and committing to almost taking those first steps on, on that data journey um which we can provide that support around where it can potentially lead to in the future and ultimately how it can help those sports um with their performance decision making yeah, 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 definitely. I think that's a, a, a whole organisation as well. It's, it's from the people that are currently working with data, um, demonstrating how they can, you know, from an analyst role, say how they can work more efficiently, work better with that. And then the, the coach is going, this is here to support you. This is not to replace your um, years of experience. And and it, it, it's, it's supporting the gut. It's not kind of replacing it. Yeah, we, we yeah. talk a lot about data-informed decision-making rather than data-driven decision-making because I think that's a really important differentiation of data should be the start of the conversation, not the end. And nobody is trying to replace the experiential knowledge of the coaches who often have, have already been very successful and have decades' worth of experience. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
I mean, that's a, that, that's a that's a great approach and fantastic to see that you've had the um, success with the the swimming mix relay. Um, hopefully, you don't have too much success uh, as an Australian. Um, <laughs> uh, I would like to say that you would have maybe silver success um, with it, but we'll see. Um, I think our glory days are behind us, but who knows? Uh, and I mean, on that, so we we'd be kind of heading into the build up for Tokyo at this point. Uh, in the year now, and uh, strangely, we're not. We're looking at, at um, 2021 for reasons that everyone knows too well. Uh, has that delay impacted your work, pushing out a year um, in that four-year cycle? Yeah, to, to, to some extent. Um, certainly, some of, some of the work of our team was very games-focused in terms of providing support around the intelligence around what what's going to unfold at the games in terms of performances and um so obviously some of that planning has been delayed by uh, i think in terms of our engagement with sports obviously we're being slightly removed from the front line um we're we're not impacted the same way as as a as a sport has been certainly not um i think the the overriding thing is obviously we we, we can't get that face time with sports and, and work in the same way that we would do so i think the biggest thing is about adapting to the way that we work with sports um and obviously we're all operating in this virtual world at the moment, but what that hasn't done is stopped our interactions and stopped the relationships that we build with sports and, and the type of work that we do. Um, and from a knowledge building perspective, I think a great example of that recently has been some of our team have been able to continue delivering, um, in this case, workshops around data structuring principles really effectively to different groups within sports. And whilst that'd be something that we'd, we'd want to deliver in a, in a, physical environment the the ability for us to continue connecting people around a, a subject matter um, and keep sharing great ideas and being able to move on people's knowledge and just facilitate that knowledge sharing within a group is something that we had to be flexible with the way we work but we've kind of managed to be able to keep doing it yeah definitely and have any sports kind of come back to you and said well this delay has presented unique problems that potentially data could could solve i mean there's things we've um, team selection or whatever else it is or, or an extra year on an athlete's um, uh, life in some sports can can affect performance or can affect that. So is this something that they come to you and said, hey, is this something you can model about these changes or help us with, sorry, rather than you actually doing the modelling? Yeah, I mean, for us, it definitely gives us an extra year to look at projects which we might have been putting off till after Tokyo um and and do things that might have an impact on Tokyo give basically yeah an extra year the other thing I think that's come up is how do you um monitor training um when the athletes aren't in the environment that they, they're used to being in right next to the practitioner so mm. how, how do you do that effectively remotely so as a wider team we've been looking at how to support um sports with that yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, the UK had some um, some fairly strict lockdowns for for those that aren't aware. So it was it was one of those things you can't even leave the house unless it's for a limited amount of exercise. So how do you then train? How do you perform? Um, and what does that mean for your, I guess, return to normal training as lockdown eases and stuff like that? So um, is it is there anything that you do retrospectively, if that makes sense? Like, is it one of those things that you go back and go well, this is a this is a model that we put together. This is a project that we did, and then following the performance, um, uh, I guess 
put out a review or is it just built into the next iteration of that? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can think of any examples. Um, well, obviously we build in um, reviews into all of our projects and we, t we try and work as iteratively as possible because obviously we know that trying to tackle a massive project is, is not effective and trying to split it up into bite-sized chunks is, is really the way to go. Um, but yeah, I suppose from a performance point of view, there's an awful lot of um, performance reviews that go on after every um, Olympics, of course, and obviously it's another year till we can do that, but um, all of that kind of goes towards helping the sports determine what the next cycle looks like and um, what it takes to win for the athletes based on what happened at the last games. Yeah, that was so. That was a that was a great answer to a bad question. So <laughs> thank you, Sarah. You, um, you, saved my, you saved my bacon on that one. No, but that's kind of what I was getting at is is these review cycles that come through, and, and I think that's one of those things that uh, Tokyo is going to be incredibly interesting because it is a bit of an aberration in the sense of pushed out a year, um, but not just pushed out a year. It's also pushed out a year with physical lockdowns. So what that does for athlete performance um, remains to be seen, and, and probably will take you know in 18 months, two years to, to fully appreciate, but um, definitely kind of those reviews and then building that into future approaches. Yeah, so thank you for that. Um, so we're kind of coming up close to time here. I th thought I'd um, leave you both with an incredibly important question we ask all our guests. What is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Oh, this is putting us on the spot. You didn't prepare us for this. <laughs> I didn't. I did not. No, that's the point. That's the whole point. Can I have two? Is that, you, can is have, that you, have two. you can have two, and while John's answering, Sarah, you can think of yours. <laughs> I'll go one, one which is very niche, which is uh, League Two football. So I, I spot Carlisle United for those who follow the English game, and uh, our goalkeeper scored last day of the season, last minute, to keep the team in the league back in uh, 1999. So... As a, as a young football fan at that point, that was always, always a standout moment. I think in terms of one a little bit closer to home in terms of Olympics, um, I was fortunate enough to be in the stadium in London in 2012 when Mo Farah won his second gold. Um, just the noise as it came around that final bend. I mean, I've been you know big stadium before and never heard anything like that. It was unreal. Um, just seeing you know, cross the line, take the gold. And last night, the athletics was, yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's good. And I always do love those um, kind of niche ones that really, <laughs> they're, they're kind of undercover fan. Um, it kind of comes out like it doesn't have to be a Super Bowl. It doesn't have to be Olympics, but it, it's good. League Two football, love it. And Sarah, yourself? So I am a big tennis player. Um, tennis is my sport. And I think for me, it was Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time. And then the second time. <laughs> yes. Um, which, I, yeah, it was just amazing because it was years of watching him and not quite do it. Um, so, yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah. Very emotional. Yeah, first, um, I, I mean, the the whole thing, uh, he's a Scot, but obviously he's Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I remember the, um, the curling team. So I lived in Scotland for a bit when I was a kid, and I remember the curling team, uh, the British curling team won gold, but they were all Scottish. And the newspapers were like, Scotland wins gold in Scotland. And then yeah. you know, all the English-based newspapers, it was like Britain. So it's it's interesting there. But um, Andy Murray's a phenomenal athlete and um, good on him. So I'll include some footage to both of those, uh, or those three examples um, uh, 
of your favourite sporting moments in the show notes so everyone can go back and relive them themselves. Uh, and also um, a link to kind of some of the work that you're doing as well for anyone that's uh, interested in taking a, a deeper dive. Great. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's uh, great to have you sharing your knowledge and, and best of luck to the British team uh, at the Olympics, um, saying that genuinely. Um, I, I can wish you luck. That's uh, always been Aussie and always um, support them, but I think uh, it's it's some really interesting um, kind of initiatives that you're doing and, and hopefully that translates to gold. So thank you again and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you thank very you much. much. And there you have it. That was John Blencarn and Dr. Sarah Damone from UK Sport and English Institute of Sport, respectively. Great to have them on the show. Some really interesting stuff there. Uh, I think that swimming example is is just an absolute kind of gem in, in terms of explaining to different sports how they can actually use the data to understand the what-ifs. Um, and especially with the Olympics being pushed back a year, there's certainly going to be a lot of what-ifs uh, involved for different teams. So if you are listening from a Olympic committee, from a Olympic sport, um, then really this is a, a good starting point to be asking, what are we doing with our data? What could we be doing more? And really, are we, are we doing strategy versus firefighting? Are we looking at data use as something that is an ongoing project? Or are we looking at something that's just single use for solving a single problem? So that, that's probably the key takeaway that I'd take from that is strategy versus firefighting. And however you use data and how you understand that in your organization um, is incredibly important. And UK Sport, the English Institute of Sport have done a fantastic job at that. UK Sport and the English Institute of Sport have done a fantastic job of understanding that as an ongoing project and really asking more of their data um, to best support their athletes. As always, you can find show notes on sportstechfeed.com. You can also contact me, Thomas Loams, Thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. Until next week, I've been your host. Pleasure to have you joining us. (laughs) 